I am unashamed. What about you? Welcome back to Unashamed. Uh, we've been in Luke 17, and as we said at the beginning of getting back into our text, it's kind of a, um, uh, what would you say, how would you call it? It's a disputed uh, <laughs> text <laughs> in terms of its application. Using. Uh, and so we, we went pretty deep into uh, not only this text, but also in Daniel, where Jesus quotes. And so as part of our overtime, we kind of did a little bit deeper dive into the book of Daniel. Yeah, I went through the whole chapter 9 and got into a little bit of the symbolic writing, which some people believe are literal. You know, Because he had the 77s, and you kind of broke it down in the three that Daniel lays out. There were seven, there were 62, there was one. The idea is that there seemed to be three eras. Yeah. It is the point. I mean, because we kind of make the bigger point because you get into the weeds. Well, if you have the mind that when you read symbolic language, you must come to an understanding of all these things, you're going to be miserable the rest of your life in in the Bible study, you know, because all of a sudden, you know, an angel is telling Gabriel, which is in Daniel 9, what he's giving him insight. Yeah. Well, this angel's talking, Mm -hmm. and he's using symbolic language a lot like what you read in Revelation. Correct. There were angels aplenty in that book, and and you were getting these visions from heaven. And so symbolic language was used. I mean, I think the people who are trying to to literally make an application— it's just not going to work. It's be hard. Yeah. Uh, another word is apocalyptic language because it's obviously talking about destruction, uh, which we made that point when in the overtime we read the rest of Luke seventeen, um, and you get the idea that these were end time judgments that Jesus quotes. He quotes Noah. Yeah. He quotes Lot. Yeah, and we and believe so, that he's referring to an end time judgment that was going to happen in Jerusalem in AD seventy. Which it did, it, right? Yeah, like, and I, I mean, I think it's this, it's this worthy of note. Says that, it all. Look, what does it say? I ride with King Jesus. <laughs> That's, you don't go wrong with that. Dad's yeah. got it on well, the I, I think it's worthy of note that the emphasis, the emphasis that Jesus Himself had on the temple, and or that He put on the temple, and you know, there's two of these, um, and I don't know if they're the same episode or not. I don't think they are, but there's the John 2 passage, and then there's the where Jesus uh, cleanses the temple, and in that particular moment, that's when he says, destroy this temple, and I'll rebuild it in three days. Of course, they're like, what's he talking about? It's taken us however many years to build this thing. How are you going to build it in three days? 46 years, yeah. 46, and then it says, but Jesus was talking about his body. Uh, uh, so we, so there's this idea. So, so he, he was very interested in, in, in the the temple, and then there's the other time, which I th- think was probably another. It wasn't the same instance that's uh, mentioned in um, Mark chapter 11. And think about this: this is Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the last week of his life, which I would think is a big deal, right? He's coming in to fulfill this prophecy, where he's riding on the colt and, the, and doing the whole thing, and he's coming in into Jerusalem. And and guess the fir- guess where he went? The first place he went. Temple, the temple, uh, uh, chapter 11 of Mark, verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold and those uh, who who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers in the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, which is, by the way, that's part of this mystery that's unfolding here in this temple theology that we're talking about. It's that this new temple that he's going to establish is a summation or the consummation of what he intended the entire time was to bring Jews and Gentiles all into the to the presence of God. But you've made it into a den of robbers. So their their crime here was not just that they were selling things to the temple. It's that they that they they misunderstood what the temple was for, which Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And the chief priest, verse 18, 
And the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because the crowd was uh, um, astonished at his teachings. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So I think about, well, what did Jesus do that aroused them to such anger? What was it that that really that he said that that really bothered him? That what what started up was that he was addressing the temple and he was reestablishing it for what God intended it to be. So then, the, in the very next chapter. Um, he, or, or, or I guess it's actually two chapters later, he goes back to the temple and he came out of the temple, chapter 13. Um, and one of his disciples said to him, this is reference to what Jason had mentioned in, uh, this Matthew's account is in chapter 24. They say, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. What are they talking about? Talking about the temple. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. He's talking about the coming destruction of the temple in AD 70. That's what he's talking about. In fact, in the previous chapter, he said that, uh, or at the end of this chapter, he says something interesting. He says uh, that this generation in verse 30, truly I say to you that this generation will not pass until all of these things have taken place. So, He's speaking to people, and he's saying, everything I just told you that's going to happen, it's going to happen, and, and this generation will not pass away before these things happen. Well, guess how long a generation was in, in Jewish culture? About 40 years. Jesus said this in 80, 30-something, and I mean, guess what happened within 40-year span? The temple came down. So I think it's just, I just wanted to point out that the, a Christ emphasis on it, because you had brought up Jason in the overtime segment, you had brought up Stephen, which he also said something about the temple that's what got him killed. That's an accident. So yeah. So I wanted to bring up kind of Jesus's emphasis on it, because I think it'll help us understand a little bit more of what this has to do with the kingdom and and uh, and how this this picture continues to flow out through through scripture. And you mentioned that sermon from Acts 7, when Stephen preaches it, he's basically speaking the whole system he says has now changed. And then they kill him because he said it. And then the guy overseeing his death is Saul of Tarsus, who later in Acts 17 quoted Stephen in his yeah, sermon. Yeah, and, and, and think about, and I, I thought about this the other day, because if, 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 we're, if we're talking about and I hate to use the term because y'all probably hit the crickets, but we've said it enough now, probably not. This eschatological temple that we that is being talked about here, that, that this is a temple. You can't separate this temple and the purpose of this temple from God wanting to dwell with his people and his people now defined as all types of people who will come to him by faith. That's the whole point of Paul's argument in Romans 9 through 11. It's not DNA that makes you God's chosen people. It is children of the promise that God promised Abraham is children of faith. It's those who will come to him uh, by, by faith that are, that are the promise. And so there's this idea here of, of everybody coming in. And so it's interesting to me that when Stephen, when, when uh, Paul first heard Stephen say this, Stephen was talking to Jewish people. But when Paul says it in Acts chapter 17, who's he talking to? Yeah. And Greeks. And yeah, and Stephen said it in uh, 48. I want to give the verses 350 when it said, However, the Most High does not live in temples made by men. As the prophet says, and this is Isaiah 66, he quotes in, a, in Acts 7:49, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or will, where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? Of course, then Stephen made a practical application, and they picked up rocks and stoned him. I mean, that just infuriated him. Infuriated but why do you think—let me ask you a question. Why do you think—I have a thought on this, but why do you think the statement that God doesn't live, the, God, the Lord God Most High does not live in temples built by man's hands— why do you think that's so offensive to both Jews and Gentiles? Because both both were offended. I mean, Stephen got killed for it, and Paul got ridiculed. Because two of the world's leading religions came from that where that temple was, Judaism and Islam. Mm -hmm. They both came from the same place. Yeah. And now the third 
I think maybe, I don't know if it's the largest religion. Uh, Christianity came from just outside the camp there on a cross as a fulfillment to that being destroyed, yep. which is Jesus. But, but I do want to say this. Jesus fulfilled it on the cross. I mean, that's where he fulfilled the law. That's where he brought freedom for the Israelite nation to be put in him. For the Gentile world, the what happened later at the destruction of Jerusalem was just judgment that was predicted on putting your eggs in that basket as far as your salvation. Well, and think about it in the in the Acts seventeen, the Greeks and the Romans after them they believed in temple worship as well. Because remember when Paul comes in, he looks yeah. around and says, man, you got gods everywhere here. But I want to tell you about this unknown God, just in case you yeah. miss one, because that's the one. So to your point, Zach, it wasn't just Jewish worship or Samaritan worship, which, by the way, is exactly what he told the woman at the well, didn't he? Believe me, yeah. woman, a time yeah. is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. They are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. That's it. Well, that's my point, though, is there's still— No building needed. No building needed. But my point is they're still fighting over putting that building up over there. Yeah. Yeah, but but, but in Acts 17, though, even—it's not just— it's not just Islam and and, and and Israel. It's also Gentiles. I mean, we're we're right. all in this boat, right? So, I mean, because he's speaking to Gentiles in Acts 17, and they're highly offended by what he's saying. I, I think the reason why it's so offensive of what Jesus was claiming about the temple and what Stephen proclaimed about the temple and what uh, the apostle Paul proclaimed about the temple and what Peter claimed about the temple, about Jesus being the cornerstone and we're living stones built on that. I mean, what's so offensive about this is here's what I think it is practically. Like, what does all this mean? Because this is we have gotten deep and I'm glad we have. But, but what does it mean? I think this is why it's offensive. Because when we, as a human, I want to control God. I want to put God in a box. I want to put him in a temple so that he can be contained. I think it's the whole, that is, that is the, the default of humanity. It is the default of sin. Let me, let me be God and I'll worship God as long as he, I can contain and I know him. Where, and I know where he is. Well, then it's I based know. on your performance instead of his. If you keep all the decrees and you do the yes. rituals right and you externally look like you got it together, then you'll. You'll make it. You'll make it then. And, 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 but that's the, I think that's Paul's argument in Romans, right? He gets to Romans 3, and he's like, he's trying to make a, a logical appeal here. You can't keep it. And he's trying to, like, this argument of absurdum where you're pushing out the argument to its logical conclusion. And he's saying, if you push this out and you want to uh, attain your own righteousness, let's just, let's just look at that for a second. And then when he gets, so he's building that case. He, he, he blasts the, the Jews, then he blasts the Gentiles, I mean, blasts the Gentiles, and he blasts the Jews, and he comes back and says in, in chapter three, everybody, like everybody has sinned and fallen short of his glory. And I think that's why what he's building here is this, this new um, idea that it was, and you, I'm glad you said it was accomplished on the cross, that Jesus established this and finished this work on the cross. And what happens is, as a result of that, now those who would freely come to Christ and put their faith in his finished work, not their own unfinished work, then we can be grafted into this kingdom. And then we, Jesus is resurrected. He's become, Prophet Isaiah says, a cornerstone of the new temple. And then we're built on that stone as, as, as uh, living stones. And when the Apostle Paul talks about sexual immorality, for example, in 1 Corinthians 6, you know what his argument is? You're, you're the temple. You're the temple. God lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You house God himself. And I, I think about like, what would we, I heard Francis Chan do this at a the event I was at recently. And uh, he, he said, what would you do if you look to the person next to you, there's an empty chair and all of a sudden this woman 
who you knew to be Mother Mary, who housed God, in, and, and she, pregnant Mary walks up, and you know that she houses God in her belly. What would you, how would you treat her? How would you act around her? And, and of course, everyone's, you know, you're imagining this. You're like, you would, you would do what, I mean, you would give her the utmost reverence. And then he made this most provocative statement. He said, if you're a believer in this room, you house God in your body. Mm. I mean, think about that. You yeah. house God in your body. When, when, when Jesus, it says, it means Emmanuel, God with us, how much more can God be with us? Than to live in our bodies, like God is in the body of the believer, according to Paul in First Corinthians six, and I truly believe that that's a, that 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 is the kingdom. It's here. It's now. Yes, it's not in its full fruition. Yes, we're longing for final consummation and glory. And yes, it's it. We live in a world that's broken. And but 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 we are not waiting to taste the goodness of God. Until we die, we can taste the goodness of God right here, right now in 2023. So we're entering the holiday season. We're always looking for good gift ideas. And our sponsor, Tommy John, is always a good option. Jace, uh, you got any Tommy John uh, yeah, I stories think, to tell? Uh, I think that, you know, at this stage of my life, most of my Christmas presents revolve around underwear and socks and T-shirts. <laughs> But this also makes a great gift for kids because, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I'd never heard of Tommy John. And uh, most of the mischievous activity between Willie and I, when it culminated, it culminated in the Murphy. And uh, if you're not sure what that is, it's where you would take your brother's underwear and pull them up as much as humanly, possible, humanly possible, which usually led to a fight. And so... I think it would be extremely difficult to do that with a pair of Tommy Johns. <laughs> That's true. It's going to be hard to get your hands on the Tommy Johns because uh, they actually fit like a second skin. They're very comfortable. Uh, they've sold over 20 million pairs. They got thousands of five-star reviews. Uh, men and women love them. They also have loungewear uh, and pajamas. So uh, we want you to check these guys out. Um, especially during the holiday season. They have a best pair you'll ever wear, or it's free guarantee. So shop TommyJohn.com slash Phil right now for the holidays. Get 20% off your first order. That's 20% off for a limited time at TommyJohn.com slash Phil. TommyJohn.com slash Phil. See their site for details to go Murphy free. Kevin Keller told a good illustration about this. Um, he was talking about something else, but I'm going to use it here because I think it was very profound. But he was talking about a guy came in, they did a little a revival sermon, and it was basically, you know, you can't be a Christian unless you're witnessing for Jesus. And he's like, the guy was in the audience, He he was, and he had all the verses, you know, and it was just such a compelling argument that he was convicted. And he's like, I mean, I don't think I'm a Christian because I'm not out there sharing Jesus. And so he tried it. He was rejected. Didn't go well. He didn't feel like he was doing good. You know, so then he came to Keller and he was like, I, I know this is right, but but I just, I, I'm failing and, and I don't think I'm a Christian. And so Keller said, I said something that was, you know, maybe I shouldn't have said it, but it just popped out. It was like, well, don't do it. You you can't do that. Stop doing it if you think by doing it you're going to become a Christian. That's not the way this works. Of course, he went to the what God's performance. He went to the cross and the resurrection. And he said, to my surprise, then you couldn't shut him up. Once he just realized that I'm not doing that to be saved— I I am saying he's like then you couldn't mm -hmm. shut him up. He was just going off telling the world and it liberated him from the same concept of thinking, "Oh, I got to go out there and share Jesus so I can find God's favor." Other than God showed his favor when I didn't deserve it. You know, you get into Romans 5 while trying, I was a sinner. He was trying he, to earn what he already He, he had. was trying to earn over something good. But in his mind, he, he just thought that that was attached to salvation, and he was 
you know, his own personality was getting in the way. Once that was liberated, because that's what grace does. Yeah. It 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 frees you mm-hmm. to realize, oh, this is not about me. This is the greatest story I've ever told. I thought I, was, I've ever heard. I thought it was interesting when Zach was describing what he did about housing the Holy Spirit, how that's changed this temple concept. It shows you though how strong human nature is. And I think you're right on target, Zach, about trying to house God somewhere and how over the course of now the 2,000 years since Jesus was here and let us know what we were going to be doing. I mean, especially now in the last few hundred years of Western civilization, we have attempted to do to bring temple worship back under the banner yeah. of Christ because now we just build these an edifice and then we, we, we start putting rules on the edifice about you can do this here, you can do this there. You can't you can't do this inside the building, but you can do it outside the building. Oh, you said. I, I, I mean, mean that I've way. heard so many pastors say, "Let's invite the presence of the Lord in." And I thought, <laughs> yeah. "Wait a minute! Yeah. When we walked he in, we not got this backwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's invite him in." I know. Oh, what yeah. are we going to do him a favor today? And but, say, "Hey, but to I, your, guess I, what? I think this is this is the this is the conundrum, though. This is the thing, though. When you when you put God." And you're not going to put God in the building, by the way. Yeah. But when you when you think you're putting God in a in a in a temple and and say God, you stay in there. What this is why it's a false gospel because what you're saying is you're saying that the true prize and true heaven is your own autonomy, your immortal autonomy, and that's how we view heaven. Like go in there, God, so that I can and I want to contain you and do what I got to do so that I can have my own eternal autonomy. That is not the gospel. The go- the true gospel is that the heaven is not personal autonomy that goes on forever for eternity. It's a union with Christ. Yep. So then all of a sudden, when we understand that we are the temple, this is what Christ came to bring. And this is the gospel of the kingdom that that God lives in his people. It's union, it's intimacy, it's connection, it's it's us living as we were created to live, which is to be worshipers of him. God, as John Piper says, uh, God is the prize. That's that's the big shift that happens when we begin to to, to understand that we're that our bodies house God, and the and the this idea of the kingdom is that God's the prize. He's the ultimate. Yeah. He is the that is heaven. It's not something else. It's John seventeen three. Eternal life is to know the one true God in Jesus Christ, the Son whom He sent. That is eternal life. You see the same evidence over all this on how we're going to worship. You know, you just think about it. I mean, there's so many debates, and you can't do this, and we ought to do this, and we shouldn't do this. You know, and when you you realize we we've got this cart before the horse here. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. like it when some people worship, and it makes me uncomfortable. But it, you know, they come straight out of the world. They're so in awe, and they they don't know enough Bible to even, you know, have a one-hour conversation about it. But they're just so moved. They do things that they don't know that, oh, we don't do that here. You know, that that may be a little too far. And I, I just think that we've turned this into how it looks in a building, in a temple to God, because we think we know what's best. And it just shouldn't be that way. No, I agree. And, I mean, but that's, again, back to Zach's earlier point, that's why this is so important uh, that we – couch it and frame it that we don't what we want to make sure we understand is the kingdom of God has a king he has come he has established he's still waiting until the end and Jace I love the way you framed it when we were first reading this passage you said that this 8070 was a part of this discussion and it is it was an end time judgment I think it ended this dispensation of mosaic law and now ushered in something different and this the church was established during those 40 years, you know, after Jesus left. But the second coming, we still look forward to. Oh, so, exactly. So it's that, not like we're what, kicking it out and say we're post-millennial, like, oh, no, it's already all been done. And yeah. there's Every time on. I have this argument, you know, and people are like, what, 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 what are you saying? Jesus is not coming back? I'm like, well, when did that ever enter the, the equation? But I think it's the same concept. People like taking Old Testament prophecy, and they like looking at the times and trying to figure this out, even though Jesus said on numerous occasions, you're not going to figure out when I'm coming. 
But we yeah. try to figure it out. Yeah. Because we want to put God in a box over here and say, okay. Because we, deep down, we think, well, I, if I know that I have 21 days to when Jesus comes back, I'm going to make sure I get everything in order. So when he comes back, he'll look at me and say, oh, you did good. And uh, you're just, you're looking at this wrong. Yeah, it's a pretty so. good distance between after the first one, Peter preached to them, repent and be baptized. They did. He's still there. Many other words, he warned them, he pleaded with them. Those who accepted his message, they were baptized, and about 3,000. So that's 3,000 on the ground, boots on the ground. Let's see. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's smart. And to the fellowship. Yeah. To the breaking of bread and in prayer. Yeah. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers had everything that uh, were, they were together had everything in common, which is hard to get a house full of people to be that way, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. We might work on that in these modern times. Every day they continued to meet together in the, today in the temple courts. They broke bread in the, uh, in the homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, Praising God and enjoying favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number they did those who were being saved. I'm just saying that's a lot of simplicity mentioned on the first converts. No, I agree. I and mean, just think about that. That's I'm right. Saying they basically it's like a family. So, so Dad, you made this. What happened to the family aspect of it all? You made this point earlier. So, the disciples, the last thing they asked Jesus as he was leaving, is when, and he says, "You don't need to worry about that. You just need to wait. Here's what's going to happen." And then the last thing they ask him in Acts 17 is where. So they've asked yeah. him when later, and they asked him where, and he says, "Where there's a dead body, the vultures were gathered." In other words, wherever there's a lot of death. Coming forward, that's going to be where this is. Well, when did that happen? Mm-hmm. Whenever Jerusalem was destroyed. So, I mean, I think, I think again, it, it makes sense in the. And Al, just so it's a thought, that kind of stuff is still going on over there. Uh, and but that's the confusion. Is everybody's still waiting for something? You're like, no, it's here. So Zach, it's pretty amazing that. Um, the blind was only supposed to last a week in October, but in many theaters, uh, actually it went into November, uh, which is, is pretty amazing, right? I mean, people yeah. really love this film. They did. It, it was it far exceeded our expectations. So, yeah, we're excited. So, Dad, I don't know if you remember this. You said if the blind could help one person come to Christ, it would be worth it. But I think it's done a lot more than that. What do you think? I think that I was not thinking large enough. <laughs> and I did, couldn't see the power of God that can happen in a heartbeat. You mm. can look up and say, whoa. That's what I got out of this one. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now we're getting somewhere. So I just looked up, and the numbers started coming in. I said, oh, he's he's there. And, I mean, he moved them on this one. He definitely moved them. There's been stories coming in from all around the world uh, of how people's lives have been changed. Yep. And the good news is we're making a shift now uh, into the digital world where people can have it in their homes uh, to be able to watch. So it's out now. One of the places that you can get the same platform that hosts all of our content is Blaze TV. Uh, you don't have to be a subscriber to Blaze TV. Just go to blazetv.com slash the blind and you can buy the digital version of the movie. If you buy now, they're also going to give you a code where you can get 20% off Unashamed, In the Woods, and the Blind merch only in Blaze TV store. So there's a little bonus on top of that. These guys have been great uh, supporters of us and helped us get the word out. So once you check these guys out, go to blazetv.com slash the blind to watch the blind today. It's more than a movie. Yeah, you think about like what is this? I mean, I know we're being somewhat redundant, but but there's so much in the Old Testament about what we're talking about, and you know we've been reading through. I mentioned earlier, Prophet Isaiah. Think about this quote. Like, how do you make sense of this? Like, like when you you hear what Jesus is saying at the uh, on the Mount of Olives, 
you 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 hear what like what 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 these predictions are about the coming of the kingdom, this whole idea of the temple. Isaiah twenty eight sixteen. Therefore, thus says the Lord God: Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. So he's painting the picture here of some kind of foundation and cornerstone that is sure, reminiscent of the language of Daniel, that can't be shaken nor destroyed. Well, if you read Isaiah chapter 27, he talks about this, uh, how how the, the, he said he's going to take the basically these stones, the stones of the temple, and turn them into chalk stone. I mean, it's going to just he's just going to crush them. I mean, they're going to be crushed. We need we need a durable temple. We need a durable stone. And so when he, so when he says this in Isaiah twenty eight, that's what is mentioned in Mark twelve when Jesus clears the temple, and they said the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's a reference to Isaiah 28. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Or Ephesians chapter 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation. These are Gentiles here. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. You say, well, how, how does it grow into a holy temple? How does a temple grow, first of all? A temple is made, made of brick and mortar, not this temple. And as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God's chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, well, I thought stones were dead, not these stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, and this is, again, this is Peter, Behold, I lay in, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but also for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. I don't know what to make of all this talk about a cornerstone if Jesus is not establishing some type of new temple. I don't know how you, what what does that mean? And that we are that temple. I mean, it's very obvious from from those texts you read and confirmed by the two people who were the early church leaders, Paul and Peter. So I did this in an earlier podcast, but I I just want to be a little more extensive because to dumb it all down, because you say, well, how come... You know, Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in some of these passages that people nowadays refer to as the second coming because they're, for whatever reason, maybe fearful that somehow we're excluding when Jesus comes back. But Paul did the same sort of thing when he wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 2, he started off early saying his message and in verse 4 1 Corinthians 2 4 his message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of God's of the spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom but on God's power which is really what the contrast of your how you worship in a temple compared to Jesus dying being buried and resurrected through his love and grace. So then he doubles down on that in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 20 when it says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Hmm. So then he gets to chapter 6, and this is a famous passage. Phil knows this one well. Verse 9, it says, don't you know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he goes through the list. Sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexual offenders, thieves, greedy, drunk. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. So then he gets to chapter 12 and verse Just watch how this is put together. In verse 12, the body is a unit, 
though it is made up of many parts, and though they, they're many parts, they're one body. So it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, we were all given the same spirit to drink. Then he talks about love. And then he reminds the Corinthians of the gospel. Chapter 15, 1 through 4. But then he does something interesting, and I made this point, but I think it has a, a more powerful impact after I read all that. In verse 22 of 15, it says, For as in Adam, so in Christ, all will be made alive. For as in Adam, all die, so in Christ, all will be made alive. Christ, each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Now here's the key verse. Then the end will come. So when Jesus comes back, we're not saying he's not coming back. He's coming back. The end will come. And watch what happens when he comes back. When he hands over the kingdom to the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he must put all enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So then you say, so well, how, how, how is that going to happen? Well, he answers that question when he gets to verse 35. Someone may ask. How are the dead raised? That's where everybody wants to get to about the kingdom. And when you saw what Paul did in the first 15 chapters, he talked about bringing the Spirit's power, convicting people of their sins by preaching the gospel of Jesus, by offering the Holy Spirit to not only uh, change you, that is what some of you were, yeah. but to give you his Holy Spirit. Well, that same spirit that's in you, not only will it transform you on the earth and make you a part of the kingdom of God, which he will hand over to Father, to the Father when he comes back, but it will also, then he gets into that. It will transform you, verse 42 of 15. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. Look down to 51. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep or die, but we will all be changed in a flash. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. We will be changed. And he gets down to verse 57 and says, but thanks be to God he gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's the problem why this became an argument. There's two transformations that happens. There's a death. There's a burial and there's a resurrection of Jesus. One is for our sins. He gives us the Holy Spirit as we surrender to him. The same spirit will raise us up at the last day. And I guess we will formally be part of the eternal kingdom because then we can't die. And to that point, we hadn't mentioned this yet, but when he died, remember what happened in the temple, the physical temple? <laughs> Yep. That that, that uh, curtain that was curtain. separating the people from the presence of God was torn in two. Which is why Paul could say, and that is what some of you were. That's right. Your sins yeah, I, were nailed to the cross right there. It was no longer based on your performance and how you're going to worship and which, how many rituals you keep and which sacrifices you bring and how pure they were and that all ended right there. That's right. And it doesn't yeah, mean well, that Israel was now out. That's why he kept saying Jews and Greeks alike in Jesus. He he fulfilled. That's what brought us to this moment. And it's all for yeah, when you all said, people. Well, you read, the, you read this about the, what was that, 1 Corinthians 4, about the uh, uh, the God came in power. It's a matter of power. Yeah, yeah so, so think about what that power is. And it's, and this is funny because we, we, uh, one of our pastors preached on this a few Sundays ago and, um, I, I had to get up at the end of the, the sermon and say, let me just tell you real quick what that power is. It's what this podcast is based on. It's, it, I mean, Paul says it in Romans chapter one, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes that you, you can't separate this whole flow from Jew and Gentile alike. And that, that's why he, when he talks about the power of salvation, he expands that he expands that out in Romans chapter one for who? For all who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And so this is the flow. This is the call. This is the mystery. This is the whole, like, it's the all whole right. thing that, like, God is 
God is coming to all people. Yeah. And so when you start at the very beginning of the Bible, if you uh, subscribe to the belief that I have and a lot of other people that the first temple was the garden, and then you fast forward through the entire scripture and you end up at the very end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21, the second to the last chapter of the Bible, listen to, listen to what it says here about the temple. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from heaven or from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Uh-oh. Yeah. What's the point of the temple? To God dwell with man. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away their tear, every tear from their eye. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I'm the, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give the spring of water of life without payment, reminiscent of the, the woman at the well passage, by the way. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, all the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. He said, what does this have to do with the temple? Well, he says he came and he looked for the temple, skipping down to the end of the chapter. He's looking for the temple. And guess what? Verse 22. I didn't see a temple. I saw no temple in the city. And here's why. For its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon or shine on it, for the, for the glory of God gives it light to it, and it, it's, it's, it's its Lamb. And by this, the nations will walk. That's, I mean, that's the summation of kind of the whole thing right there, that exactly. God's the temple. God's the temple. Well, I, I left this out uh, on purpose, but it goes in with what you just said. But in 1 Corinthians six nineteen which most people use this verse as an excuse not to, you know, dip snuff or eat too much or whatever. But after everything we've read up until this point, just think about this. When Paul said, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Now, he said that in the context of don't be sexually immoral. Why? Because you're married to Jesus, yep. which was the point with the woman at the well. She had been married six, six, seven times, and she was living with a guy. And he's introducing, the, yeah. you know, a new husband, spiritually speaking. And it's the same concept when you combine Jesus's death on a cross, which is where in this section what he was talking about when he said, "Don't you know the wicked are not going to inherit the kingdom of God?" But that's what some of you were, and he's now introducing the idea that this temple can be you. So when I visited Israel three or four years ago, the actual temple housed the Holy Spirit, went to visit where the old temple used to be. But if I'd have said that, people looked at me and they'd probably picked up rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Which goes back to Stephen in Acts 7. Really, that's the truth. Yeah. If I'd have said, hey, you know what? I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. What response would that give? So I want to I want to reset in our last few minutes here, reset the context back to Luke because we've basically taken two podcasts to show you this view of the kingdom and why we think it's here, why we think it's already established, and so when you read these judgment uh, contexts like we're in Luke seventeen there may be more at play than just waiting on the second coming. Although that includes judgment for sure. That's the ultimate judgment. But I want to take you back because we, I told you this was kind of a section in Luke chapter 13, um, way back 
Some Pharisees came to Jesus in verse 31 and said, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. And it sounded like some people were actually looking out for him. And then he tells him, you know, go to this fox and tell him this. But then he said something interesting in 33. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together. And he's talking about himself to him as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house has left you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I believe he starts right there. In the, in the ensuing chapters of 14, 15, 16, because remember we were talking about the rich man, Lazarus, these pictures yeah. of judgment. Everything gets us to this point, because remember, in context in Luke, he's speaking to the Pharisees. And he's saying, look, you have missed it. You've killed the prophets, all the ones who pointed at me, and here I am. And you're rejecting me as well. And then he gives them this ultimate picture. This is going to be the end of it. So I think that's why the end time judgment is so important. Of course, that also includes the ultimate judgment. Well, that's why when the Pharisees asked, and we've skipped over this for a reason, but in 17 and 20 and 21, when they asked when the kingdom uh, would come, which has been what we've spent the last two podcasts talking about. Right. He did not answer when, he said where. That's it. He said, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. That's right. Or some versions say is within you or Or among people or among you. What was he saying? I would like to say that he's saying what we've been barking about for the last two hours on these podcasts it you can actually house the holy spirit and now obviously they didn't know what he was talking about because he hadn't died been buried and resurrected the holy spirit hadn't been poured out correct but he also gave a future declaration that the temple of jerusalem which represented the mosaic lifestyle and was the hub of the religious world for hundreds of years, he was saying, look, that's going to be destroyed. Not one stone is going to be left on another. And did it happen? It happened. That's right. It, the temple turned into a money-making enterprise. <laughs> oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah, you, but the, yeah, I think it's interesting that uh, the parallel between all these ministries, right? You got Jesus as the, as the, the one who set the protocol, but then Stephen... Going back to Stephen, because what did Jesus tell him? He said, "What did, uh, you just read that passage uh, about you, you, you've rejected all the prophets. Yep. Listen to what G, uh, uh, Stephen says in his sermon, the one that got him killed. I don't, know why this, I don't know why this made him mad, but apparently they got mad when he said, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did so. I mean, it's the same thing that Jesus said. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have not now, but who you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So you think, man, what did he say that made them so angry? It was an indictment. I mean, this is a this is an indictment that you like. You, you always rejected the prophets, and I read. Um, I don't know if this is like I haven't verified this, but even the prophet Isaiah, you know, in Hebrews eleven, when it says that some were sawed in two, and they were sewn up in sheepskins, and that's all that that picture of the yeah Hebrews eleven of renown. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the scholars that I read uh, said that tradition is is that's how the prophet Isaiah was actually he was actually martyred. And he was sawed in two, and, and they think that that Hebrews passage is in reference to him. But but all these prophets who talked about this coming kingdom, who talked about this coming king, who talked about the Messiah, they were never accepted in their day. And so I think that, but we still do the same thing today, even as like uh, Christians, I feel like sometimes we we want to put God in that building the church, the church building. We want to, I mean, we want to like, let, let's do it in there. Keep, keep the kingdom in that, in that building, in that 501c tax structure, keep the kingdom in there. Do not let that kingdom 
get into my heart because if it gets into my heart then it's going then then it's going to require more it's going to demand everything yeah that's why it makes more sense when he got to the end of Luke 17 and they said where lord cuz he gave these two examples that I don't think we ever read but when he had said in verse 26 just as it was in the days of Noah so also it will be in the days of the son of man people are eating drinking marrying being given in marriage up until the day of Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them, just like Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying, selling, planting fields. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down. It'll be just like this in the day the Son of Man is revealed. So we have given our argument, well, we think this is talking about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70. And so then he ends in verse 37 saying, where, Lord? Now they're asking, you know, where? They asked when, now where? They asked, he said, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. And so he gives you a picture of this destruction of Jerusalem, the yep. temple being destroyed. Look, and there's buzzards. And so when you do what Zach says, modern day religion, when you try to have your religion in a temple that's a building where you think, that's based on my performance and how well I do there. Look outside, and there's if you see a bunch of buzzards circling it, you've got a wrong view of the kingdom of God. <laughs> I didn't do that. He did that. I mean, that's yeah. the way he described that, which is very unusual. But what is he given a picture of? That's died. Yeah. That's a dead concept. You're never going to... Find God's favor in your performance and you keeping rules and ritual. It's never going to happen. That went by the wayside. They've never got that built again, which is strange. It's been 2,000 years. And I believe it's because we're the temple of God. And, you know, still saying, Jason, how hard it is, is it to kill um, a sacrificial cow uh, in your own mind? Well, it took 40 years for the New Testament church to move themselves out of temple. Remember that their early issues were all over circumcision. And well, exactly. So they struggled and, with yeah. it, and it took. That's why he waited forty years before he did it. Look, and for, struggling with it, and yeah. for the thousands of reasons that Jesus is better and His kingdom is better, and putting your faith and trust in Him is better. He says it over and over, and takes great pains in all four gospels and in all the letters that followed. It's for everybody. You are Greek. You're in. Realize that you, you're human. There's a God. You're not him. And Jesus saved me and surrender to him and be a part of the kingdom. All right. So we're out of time. Uh, we got over time. We'll, we'll try to tie this off and then uh, move on to chapter 18 on our next podcast. So come over and uh, hear us talk about this a little bit more. BlazeTV.com slash Unashamed. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube and be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.